is lovely to be here. Wiseman didn't quite reflect Doug's request to me entirely accurately. Doug phoned me this week, Dave, I've got COVID, I'm going to be out, um, we're all out, and we need a great preacher. <laughs> but none of them can make it. So can you fill in? Nevertheless, it's great to be here, and I did decide to go about as far away from Mark as we can get. So this preach is anchored in the book of Jonah. And um, I'm going to talk a bit before I even give you the title of the story. Because first, I want to ask you a question. Have you, how often, I was going to say have you ever, but I think it's more accurate to say how, how often do you wonder if you're good enough? Maybe it's anxiety about work. My, can I cut the mustard? As a parent, maybe as a child, am I a good enough child or friend? I mean, the list of insecurities we can roll out can be long in our dark moments. I, I do wonder this occasionally, although more often than not, I suffer from the opposite syndrome. I tend to back myself even when my skills are quite there. And this is the difference between my wife and I. She leads with skill and her confidence follows. I lead with confidence and hope my skill follows. But nevertheless, these questions plague us. And I think the biggest in that category is, am I good enough for God? Like, will he, even if I begged, would he accept me? Would he ever use me. Like, I'm so unimpressive. And the big idea of this preach, and in fact, the big idea of the whole book of Jonah, is that God's abundant sovereign mercy and grace causes him to pursue us. Not just let us in if we beg, but to pursue us. Whether we are grumpy Christians, or ignorant, or antagonistic unbelievers, that pretty much covers everyone who may wonder this. <clears throat> he pursues us in his kindness. He goes after those who don't know him or have serious anger, selfishness, racism, insert dysfunction here, issues, and is able to use them in spite of their condition. I think that's amazing. But there is a warning in this message. It's like God will pursue you. But running away from God comes at massive short-term cost. So it's just better not to run away. Allow yourself to be caught, because otherwise it may go hard for you. Okay, I'm going to paint some context, and then I'll tell you the, the, the title of the sermon. So the context, this, was, this book was most likely written by Jonah himself, although a few years after uh, the events that he wrote down here. And it's set somewhere between 750 and 800 years before Jesus came and was born on earth. In this part, there are four characters. There's Jonah, there's the sailors, there's the fish. Maybe it's a whale, we're not sure, in the Mediterranean. There's the fish and there's God. Those are the four character sets. And there are a few places. There's Gath Hefer, which is just a little town. Um, inland, uh, that's where Jonah grew up, and there's Joppa, which is a coastal port town in Israel. Then there's Tarshish in Spain, the other side of the Mediterranean, and there's Nineveh, 
which was the capital of Assyria or modern-day Iran. Now, of course, this brings another country into play, and it's important to understand the political dynamics between Assyria and, uh, and Israel. So the Assyrians were mighty and fierce, and they emphasized their ferocity by performing widespread and highly creative atrocities amongst the nations that they conquered. They were brutal, and they worshipped a whole variety of gods. They were pantheistic, lots of gods. They had one for every occasion, and that had strife. Israel and, um, and Judah, the two uh, Jewish nations, and Assyria had had strife. They were going to have some more. And all of these things mixed together, which means that Assyria would have been an offensive place to any good Jew. If you love the one true God and tried to obey his laws, the behavior and um, like everything about Assyria would be offensive. You'd, you'd hate them. So I've got a map that puts these things into play. I think it's up here. Gath Hefer is inland. It's about 100 k's from Joppa. Joppa is 2,500 k's from Tarshish. It is actually, at the time, it was the furthest place you could buy a ticket to. So it's far away. And Nineveh is about 100 k's northeast of Joppa. Okay, that's the context. We're going to get to the scripture, but I want to tell you the title of the preach. And to do that, I want to bring you back to what I said the big idea of the book was. God's abundant sovereign mercy and grace causes him to pursue us, whether we grumpy Christians or ignorant or antagonistic unbelievers. In his kindness, he goes after those who don't know him or have serious anger, selfishness, racist issues, and is able to use them in spite of their condition. And so, I have entitled this preach, Even a Broken Clock is Right Twice a Day. Now, of course, there's a little trick about that being true, because if a broken clock is up on the wall and you keep looking at it, you go, oh, it's wrong, it's wrong, it's wrong. And so you'd never notice when it's right. So for a broken clock to be useful, you need someone to whip it out at the right time. Even a broken clock is right twice a day. And I think as we go through this, you can guess who the broken clock is. I'm going to read Jonah 1. I haven't put it on the screen because I, I want to invite you to get stuck into the story. I think it's beautifully written. It really is an amazing piece of prose. So I'm, I'm going to read it, and I just want you to assume whatever posture, maybe close your eyes as a kid. I love closing my eyes for stories because it enriched my imagination, but do whatever that will help you get in to the story. Try and feel the emotions behind the words in terms of what was going on. Here we go, Jonah 1. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. 
Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, the sailors, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done to us? Uh, for the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. But they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. Lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. That's a cracker of a story. Eh? There's so much that goes on there. So let's unpack it a bit. I imagine you know, when at school you'd, you know, you'd have a set work and you'd go through it and you'd look at the characters and the places, and that's what we're going to do. Let's look at Jonah first. So clearly Jonah doesn't like the Ninevites. And he certainly doesn't want to deliver the message from God. Why? Like if he just said, okay, went there, read them the memo and went back, maybe that would have been okay. Now later in the book, you find out Jonah's deep racist hatred for the Assyrians. But the long and the short of it is that he was offended that God would have anything to say to anyone other than than the Israelites, his chosen people. Particularly, he didn't want to run the risk that if he gave the message, the Ninevites may repent because he wanted them to be punished. I think, although, I mean, you know, when we sound it like this, you go, oh, Jonah, you're such a lame, selfish dog. Like, how could you? You know, I always read Bible stories about broken people with a sense of self-righteousness. Like, what a loser. Like, I know, I, I know better. But let's, let's I, I try to think of a modern-day equivalent. I couldn't come up with quite modern, so I went back 60 years ago to apartheid South Africa. Imagine 
a young black man somewhere outside Peter Maritzburg gets told by the Lord to go to Pretoria to preach to the Nat government just in case they may be saved. So instead, he goes down to Durban and buys a boat trip to Mauritius. That, I mean, that's the, that's the extent of running. So even though Jonah heard God speak to him, the creator, the Lord God Almighty, controller of everything, he decides not only to disobey, just not leave his house, but to run. He called this preach, you can run, but you can't hide. But we know he was running from God because this is what it says. Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. It's as if he wanted to get out of the presence of the Lord so the Lord wouldn't be able to tell him again. It's like if, he's, if he got out of signal, then the Lord couldn't call him and tell him, like, if I go far away enough, God will stop bothering me. It's like, well done, Jonah, you get an A. Like on one hand, you know that God is the creator of everything, and then you think you can run away from it. So now think about this. This costs him a lot more than it would have cost him to go to Nineveh. It's 800 Ks. It would have cost him. But first, he tripped down 100 Ks, no mechanized transport. That would have taken time. Then he offs up the cash to go all the way across the Mediterranean. And then the wind storm picks up and puts it at risk. So we'll come back to Jonah, but now let's move because the next group of people he interacts with are the sailors. Now these this is their job. They're not afraid of the wind or the waves. And actually, if you're a sailor, like without wind, like you're bored because your boat doesn't go anywhere. You need wind, and a good bracing wind means you get faster to your destination and you're less likely to run out of food. So actually, wind is great. And for people who are not good on boats, the stuff that's like a storm. So now these were the guys who were afraid. Professionals were terrified of what was going to happen. And think about what they did. Ten scared. They were real scared because they were chucking the cargo overboard. That is their livelihood. So we don't know. Probably the sailors were hired hands, but they earn cash from moving the stuff from A to B. Now they chuck Sailor, The captain may have had a share, but they were beggaring themselves, putting themselves into poverty and other people, the investors in the, the stuff on the ship, because life was more important to them. And they knew there was, there was, gone was the chance of saving both. So these guys were properly afraid. They were so afraid that not only were they chucking out all the cargo to lighten the load, but they were calling all the spiritual pockets. I don't know if you've ever played pool, but if you're not good at it, the classic approach is you come up and you do what's called hit and hope. Calling all pockets, you just go in, wow. That. You just hit and you hope that the balls bounce around and something will, will land because each cried out to his God, whether it was a God of the ocean or the land of the air or the wind, they were calling out to everybody just in case something would go and drop. And then it doesn't work, so they say, hey, maybe somebody else has a God on the ship. Let's go and find them. I'm sure there's a whole nother preach into how Jonah could be sleeping at the bottom of the ship when the professionals were terrified. But the captain goes and fishes him up, yells at him, 
and says, you call your God too, because we don't want to leave any corner unexplored. Nothing happens. It gets worse. So they draw lots. They say, okay, let's find out who's to blame. And it falls on Jonah. Can you imagine what Jonah would have felt at that point? Because he must have had the suspicion that this is because of him. That instead of moving out of signal, like God is amping up the message, and then lots landed him. It's like, oh, I've got to out myself. And so he does. I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord. Now, this is interesting. These guys were calling to their little gods, the God of everything. And then he says, I fear the Lord, God of heaven, who made the sea and all the dry land. He's way bigger than all of you. That's why they were afraid, because he just gazumped all of them. You worship these little tin pot oaks? I worship the God of everything. Now they're going, oh my word, if we have messed with the God of everything, we're in real trouble. And that's what it says. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he told them. I'm thinking they're going, are you stupid? Like, Why would you ever run away from God that big? Anyway, they go down, they say, what must we do? They say, throw me overboard. And I'm amazed here. I think I would have taken him and chucked him before he finished the sentence. And yet they showed compassion on him. It says, nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. But they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous. They wanted to save him. How kind. This oak is the cause of all of their hardship and they try and save him. Okay, but they realize they can't. But then they realize, ooh, we're going to kill a guy. Let's just make sure we cover ourselves. Therefore, they called out, not to their God, to the Lord. O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. Please don't come to us afterwards and say, you, how could you kill this guy? Lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. It's an amazing line of submission. God, you, you do as you please. It's, this is out of my pay grade. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased raging. That is way more scary than the storm. Like the storm, you know it gets bad, maybe you die. But there's something bigger than the storm. I reckon these oaks were dinner plate eyes. And for the first time in their lives, they prayed to the true, one true God. And he... Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. They tossed their gods. Those oaks were useless. In the context of the Old Testament, to someone who has no understanding of Jewish law, this is as close to a conversion experience as can be written about. God used disobedient Jonah and a lot of pain and suffering to save people who knew nothing about him. It's incredible. Okay, let's talk about the fish. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. 
Why was there a fish? Like, what's the purpose of the fish? I'd suggest there are two purposes. First, we needed a marine Uber to get Jonah back to land. Because he's now sinking, and he's got a mission that means he has to get there. It's too far to swim. So he had to get Jonah back to dry land. But the second purpose was to serve as a grave and to showcase God's great power. Now, where do I get that from? I'm going to read to you what Jesus said about Jonah. In, I think it's Matthew. I didn't write the reference here. This is what Jesus himself said about Jonah. He said to them, because they were asking for a sign, and they were, show us, tell, you say you're amazing, well, show, you know, show us some tricks. He said to them, the sinful people of this day look for something special to see. There will be nothing special to see but the powerful works of the early preacher Jonah. Jonah was three days and three nights in the stomach of a big fish. The Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the grave also. The men of the city of Nineveh will stand up with the people of this day. On the day men stand before God, those men will say, these people, he's talking about those around him, are guilty because the men of Nineveh were sorry for their sins and turned from them when Jonah preached. And see, someone greater than Jonah is here. In the context of what we know about Jesus, he suggests that Jonah died. And of course, because he carried on, that would mean that he was, God rose, raised him from the dead. Because it is, it's like a burial experience. He went down, he got swallowed up. Three days later, he comes back out. He, he gave his life into the sea for the sailors. He went and preached the word People in Nineveh, we're not going to do the whole book of Jonah today, but they also got saved and repented. <clears throat> but there's a lot of debate about whether he died or not. And actually, I've realized the people who believe he didn't die drew all of the pictures in the Sunday School Bible story books that I saw. The ones that I saw, Jonah in the whale, it was like hey, he was having a camp. He was sitting in a cave, like cross-legged, the walls were kind of ribs and a bit fishy. Maybe there was a crab on the tongue of the, this cave. And in some, there was a fire. Look, oh, poor Jonah. He's got space. Have you ever looked at the stomach of a large fish? There's no space. There's no, there's no oxygen. Like, it's not a spacious, you know, Pinocchio and the whale. You know, we've seen these things. There's none of that. If you, I actually Googled it. And we're like, is there space in the lungs? No, it's just all very fine, fibrous stuff. If it's a whale that breathes oxygen, is there space in the stomach? No. Oh, either he died because there was nothing to breathe, or God miraculously kept him alive on a miracle equal to raising him from the dead. So this debate about was he alive, was he not, I think is a, is a real distraction because God performed a life-saving miracle to get him back to land. However you want to argue it in your theological masters, should you so choose. So it was a, a complete miracle. And you think these sailors, I mean, think about what would have happened. You know, in the Bible it says, oh, and Jonah was spat out and then he went to Nineveh. It's 800 k's away. He wasn't spat out at the gates. 
So it would have taken time. Maybe he actually went home to get a change of clothes. Like maybe the sailors got back and started talking about this. It's likely that by the time he got to Nineveh, rumors of this oak would have got there before him. Wow, what is going on? So, I mean, this is the rest of the book, but by the time Jonah gets there, it's likely that God has done some prep work in the hearts of the nations. Okay. Right. Those, that, was, that was Jonah, that was the sailors, that was the fish. Now let's talk about God, because he is the main character. I'm not going to re-narrate the each of the bits that God did, but I do want to look at the things we learn about him. We learn that he has concern for all people. Why do I say that? At the time that God sent Jonah to Nineveh, Israel was not in great shape. They were not the epitome of righteousness. If they weren't all tidy, and out of their tidiness, God sent a missionary. No, they were in a mess. If you read over those who are not his. The application. It's not just you or me that God wants, but all people, including those you hate. It may be that you need to repent yourself of actually not having a category of people in your head that you don't want to come to salvation. Because you want God to judge them. Oh, I can't wait for that day when God will smash them. God is a God of justice, and he may do that. But if he saves them, which is his desire, Jesus has paid the price for that already. And I've got a few people on my list where I think, sure, Jesus, I don't know if your death was enough for them. They need some more. It's a source of real reflection. It's like, Lord, won't you soften our hearts towards those we, I'm going to say hate. It's an ugly word, but when I say those we dislike, we can kind of self-righteously position a few people. But there are other people that offend us. Number two, he is very patient and kind to his children who disobey. Jonah is obstinate. It's a good word. And at any point, I mean, I think of me, if I was God, I think the minute Jonah ran out of his door to Joppa, I would have gone, I'll find someone else. Let me get some good raw material. You know, it's so hard to get good help these days. Let me get someone who'll work with me. I'm God, after all. I should be entitled to have minions and flunkies that obey me. And he's so patient and so long-suffering. And if you read through to chapter 4 you'll see that Jonah doesn't actually improve. He's horrific. His attitude when God saves... Oh, anyway, that's another preach. But God is so kind and patient. Application. He won't give up on you even if you run away. There's a secondary application. Come back quick because otherwise it may go hard for you. Like God's not going to give you up, up on you. But if you're running away from God and life gets hard and you get swallowed and in a storm 
and people say horrible things, you know, all sorts of mess. Well, maybe God is just trying to draw you back. I am an engineer by training, and I think every good engineer is inherently lazy. Not that we don't ever want to do any work, but if there is an easier way to get the job done, we take it. It's so much easier just to submit to God. Allow yourself to be caught. Okay. So the question is, what if you feel like God is telling you to do something difficult? Because, I mean, all sorts of reasons why we run away. We, we get disappointed in God. Sometimes he asks us to do something difficult. But if it's in that case, there's a particular application. Jonah didn't do it. He didn't have a group of mates in a growth group or life group or community that he said, hey, guys, I think God is telling me to go to Nineveh. I hate them. Could it be? And if you feel like God is putting something like that on your heart, go talk to people. Pray with them. That's why we have community. Okay, next. Very patient and kind with those who don't know him. God owed those sailors nothing. Arguably, he could have done the same thing. Because they were worshipping other gods. They were declaring themselves in rebellion to him because they picked other gods and not him. And yet he is patient. And the application for you, if you don't know God, is that he wants you out of his family. He is a pursuing God. If you're here, it's because he's chasing you. I encourage you to let yourself be caught. Last application, God can use broken clocks. And it's him who whips it out at the right time, the correct moment to tell the right time. And I, I, if, you, if you're a believer, I want you to take real encouragement from that, that God can and will use you. You don't have to feel like you have to be more qualified for you to be used. When God says something and says, don't do this, like, don't do it because he'll use you. You can trust that he will. And actually, if you get on board, if you're a willing participant, it will be more fun. <clears throat> there is a lot to chew on here. And in a bit, Wiseman's going to take us through communion. And we'll have an opportunity to reflect on these things. But <clears throat> I want to close with some quite profound poetry that Jonah, I don't think he composed this final version while he was in the whale for the reasons I've gone through, but I think he figured it out through that process. And this is what he wrote in Jonah 2. It's incredible poetry. And this is how I'm going to finish. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and billows passed over me, and then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life, the deep surrounded me, the weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered 
and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon dry land. 